Hi, and welcome to the Rags to Riches show with myself, Terry Blackburn. Now, today's guest has got a really impressive bio and CV and career so far. He's certainly not done, uh, but 25 years in property. To give you an idea, he's purchased and developed over £100 million worth of property. He's been involved in many JVs, including hotel acquisitions. He's a mentor. He's an author. Came from nothing as well which I love, and um, currently has over 250 properties, valued over £50 million. So he's got a really, really good story, really inspiring, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of lessons and learnings we can take from this session to hopefully inspire and motivate you. So welcome to the show, Emmanuel Ezekiel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, no, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. And for the people watching on YouTube, he is in London. He's not in like Barbados with, with his background. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyway. Um, so, not today. Say again? Not today. Not today. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Um, so what we like to do, Emmanuel, on the show is we like to talk about someone's career so far. We'll partition it up into three parts. Then we'll talk about each part and extract the learnings and the lessons that you've learned from your career to hopefully inspire others. So the three parts is the start, just how you got into property and into business. The middle part is the exciting part, the growth part, the big things that you've achieved. And the current is obviously what you're looking at now, what your attention is on and what you're looking at going forward. So first of all, could you give us a brief sort of overview of that start part, how you got into property and how it all came about, please? Yeah, I got into property purely by chance. Uh, and I got into property by chance is that I was working at the time. I had a franchise for a company called Sharp's Bedrooms, which you may have heard upon. Um, and my franchise was coming to an end. Uh, and I had enough of dealing with customers and clients and telling me their fitter hasn't fitted it properly. So I wanted to have a product uh, that didn't have many customers and I wanted to try and create a pension. So I did what most people did. I used my savings and I did my very first joint venture with another person who was working at Sharp's Bedrooms. We bought two properties from a developer on the same day. Uh, we negotiated the discount. We didn't know what BMV or anything that was. We just used some of our negotiating skills. We bought two properties, ran out of money very quickly. Uh, but we are like the idea of uh, buying property. Um, we were doing really well at Sharks with our franchises. And then we bought another two properties from another developer not too far away and again ran out of money. So that was the start of the property journey because I didn't have any real knowledge, education. When I first started, you know, sort of 25, 30 years ago, there wasn't really much education around the property field as there is today. So that halted my journey. Um, and then at the same time, started reading some really amazing books that changed my mindset. Mm. So, so just, just to jump in there, which book? Well, there, which was book? A few. there was a few. Yeah. So yeah. one was, uh, as most people heard of it, is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. Great book. Talk about the four quadrants and understanding the difference between the different four quadrants. Then there was Think and Grow Rich, which everybody again heard from by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. And then the other, well, two other ones were uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. And that really taught me the, the, the compound effect of having your money work for you from generation to generation. Uh, so I really understood that process. And last but not least, and I think the biggest influence for me 
was uh, Tony Robbins uh, reading Awaken the Giant Within. And that those were all a few different pieces of the jigsaw that just changed everything for me. But the, the biggest thing was the mindset. Yeah. And what, what age were you when you did you read all these sort of at the start? Or is this a gradual thing when you read these? Uh, I read those books more or less simultaneously. Um, and yeah. I read them around about the age of around about 30. I, I had read other books before. So because I was in sales, I spent a lot of time uh, learning human behavior learning psychology, learning the psychology of sales, what motivates and inspires people. So it's been a journey that I've been on uh, in terms of my own personal development and growth. So, you know, I've, I've probably been trained by the best trainers in the world. Um, I've spent well over half a million on my own ed education in the UK and overseas. Oh, wow. um, we've really, if, if, you, if you name the mentor, I've probably been mentored or coached or trained by them and invested in their program so yeah it's, it's something that i do and can still still continue to do and still invest in my knowledge and my training uh because you know you're either growing or you're dying i love that and i think there's a, a couple of things that you said there that stand out to me is <clears throat> even someone who's achieved what you've achieved you're still developing you're still learning a lot of people for some reason still shy away from mentors i think i've heard countless people say to me why would i spend 10 grand 20 grand on a course when i could buy you buy it you know it's one deposit certainly maybe it's not where you live in the northeast it is um but you know the, the amount that you learn from doing a course of being mentored is massive and a lot of the very experienced guests i've had and just on the show so far a lot of them have mentioned they've had somebody who's mentored them um i think the with, biggest thing for most i think the biggest thing for most people is the language that they use so if you normally find people that have had mentors or coaches, we see it as an investment, an investment in ourselves, an investment in our business, whereas other people see it as a cost. So when you're investing, if I buy a property today, I know that property in 10, 15 years time will be double its value. So my investment today might be 25,000 for a 100,000 pound property with a 25% deposit in 10, 15 years time, that's worth 200,000. So my initial investment of 25,000 has increased dramatically. So my investment, my knowledge and my education doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get the reward today. But once I've got that knowledge and information, what is that going to yield for me over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Because once I have that knowledge and information, I can keep using that knowledge and information to grow. Love that. Delayed gratification. Love that. I read something. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with Brian Tracy. He says that you should you should invest 3% of your income annually into, into yourself. It, but a lot of people are doing more than that, but, um, but some people aren't even doing 1% of it. It's funny you should mention Brian Tracy. Yeah. Because Brian Tracy is one of the people that endorsed my book, The Six oh, Steps wow. of Financial Freedom. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 again, he's somebody that I was mentored by, coached by. Oh, really? um, so all, all of these people, they all have what I call a little gem, a little snippet, that you can put as part of your overall jigsaw growth and development. And, you know, when we talk about success, success isn't just about wealth. It's about balance, mm. emotionally, physically, financially, and spiritually. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you've got cancer, you'd give it all up. So health is a cornerstone of where we all start with. Uh, and you probably gathered, I do a lot of training, a lot of fitness, healthy body, healthy mind is the cornerstone. You know, Steve Jobs would give it every single million and billion that he had to stay another 10 years on this planet. 
So money is not a measure of success. There's lots of different measures of success. It's just one measure that people have. Love that. Again, I think that's some great advice. Um, Brian Tracy's a, a big influence on me being sales background like yourself. Um, sort of, I don't know, eight years ago when it, it seems like now there's so much self-development out there, but back then it wasn't, you know, there wasn't as much anyway. I read Eat That Frog and his sales books and things. And he's just a legend, isn't he? He's just like one of the like OGs, we call them. Um, yeah, for sure. I love Brian Tracy. Um, and yeah, just really what you said, I think the health as well thing, I think that's so, so true. And a lot of people miss that. I've got friends who, you know, they neglect the relationships at home, they neglect the health just, to, just for wealth. When, like you say, if you've got cancer, you would give up everything, wouldn't you? Um, I think that's really great advice. Um, Thank you for that. Just pulling it back. So you stumbled into stumbled into property at the start. So let's talk about the exciting part. Then let's talk about how you went from stumbling into buying a couple of properties to 100 million in development, JV's hotels and all these things. So um, how has it got to that? Okay. So again, one of the mentors that I've had says the luck factor is when uh, preparedness recognizes opportunity. So you have to be prepared to understand and recognise opportunities. You have to have the knowledge and information to allow you to do so. So when I was coming out of my Sharks Brayton franchise, and the reason why I was coming out of it, I had such a successful franchise, they decided they wanted it back. So while that was all happening in the background, I was approached by uh, somebody in financial services that was bringing a new company over to the UK and that company was changing how mortgages were done in the UK. So not most people won't probably realize this, but at the time, all mortgages were calculated annually in arrears compared to where it is now daily. Now that doesn't sound like a huge difference, but this particular mortgage linked with a current account and it was called a CAM, a current account mortgage, made a massive difference to how all mortgages in the UK today are done. So I was asked and recruited to put a sales team together and linked to this mortgage, and I'll tell you who the company is in a minute, uh, they had a calculator that showed you how you can accelerate and pay off your mortgage as quickly as possible without really earning any more money. And I became within, so I'm, I'm, I'm very focused when I, I put my mind to something and I spent six weeks, probably six or seven hours a day, playing around with this calculator. And I became the world authority on this calculator. Uh, and basically, I could show anybody how to pay off their whole mortgage, um, reduce the term between five and seven years, save on average about £50,000 of interest without actually changing their income. That company at the time was called First Active Mortgages. It was an Australian company. And today, that company is called Virgin Money. So armed with that knowledge of this calculator, uh, I set up my own mortgage company. And every single day, I would have a different mortgage um, BDM, business development manager come in and not tell me about their mortgage, but tell me everything about their underwriting criteria. So I knew how I could manipulate the mortgage to get any mortgage that you needed. And at the time, to be fair, as long as you could breathe on a pane of glass and have some breath on it, you could get a mortgage. And self-certs, yeah. <laughs> self-certs and so forth. And there was other things at the time which were uh, Mortgage Express where you could do a same-day mortgage. So I could buy a property today that was worth 120000 for 100000 I could remortgage it the same afternoon 
at the higher value and get all my money back. So there was lots of things at the time that allowed to grow and accelerate. And I did some additional training courses in property in terms of creative strategies. And I've spent hundreds of thousands just on property education in terms of learning creative strategies. I'd probably say, not blowing my own trumpet, there's very few people that know as many creative strategies and deploy them and use them as much as I do today and teach. Um, it, it's not, you know, people think you need money in property. You need to know how to access money in property. It doesn't have to be your money. You just need to know where to get it. Because I guarantee you, if you have a property that you bought, that mortgage isn't your money. You've accessed that money. So if you know how to access all the money and how to access it and creative ways of doing so, and that's why I do so many joint ventures and creative strategies, you can accelerate and grow your property journey very quickly, provided you have the three fundamental cornerstones I talk about, know, like, and trust. People need to know you. If they don't know you, can't do business with you. If they don't like you, they certainly won't do business with you. And if they don't trust you, then they're not going to do business. You have those three things, and that will allow you to accelerate your, your, your business and your growth, provided you have the knowledge and the information to be able to access it. Love that. Love that. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your creative strategies then? You mentioned you use lots of different things. Um, so what do you do a lot of? Is it, is it lease options? Is it, is it just everything? Tell us a little bit, a bit more. Okay, so, so I often talk about that I, I found a drug um, a while ago that was so powerful, I've been having to take it every day. So I've become addicted to it. And some people have heard of opium, the drug. Well, for me, it's other people's money. It's a great drug that you can use and other people's money comes in all shapes and forms. So I've even bought a property on a credit card. Uh, if you've got a good enough credit, credit limit, you can take, you know, on some of my credit cards, I've got 40, 50,000 as a credit limit. I can use that as a drawdown, pay that as a deposit and provided um, the, um, provided the rent is greater than the payments, that's a good debt. So I talk about what's good debt and bad debt. Bad, yeah. And yeah. the difference between good debt and bad debt the simplification is anything that puts money in your pocket is a good debt. Anything that takes money out of your pocket is a bad debt. So if you have a loan that costs you a thousand pounds a month and the interest or the rent that you get from it is 1200 pounds a month, you're making 200, that's a good debt. So that's the, 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 the basic definition. So I do lots of those strategies. So I do things like lease options. I do assisted sales. I do sandwich options. I do um, rent to buy. Um, I do um, J JVs. So they're, they're just some of them. You've got, you've got crowdfunding. In fact, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in, in the process of doing an A to Z of all the different ways that you can buy property, get into property without using any, any of your own money. So even deal sourcing is none of your own money. You can actually sell a deal onto another investor that doesn't have the knowledge or the time and make money without actually having any money just by sitting on your computer, finding deals that other people don't have the time or inclination to do so. So there's loads of ways that you can be involved in property um, to make money. Bridging loans, adding value. There's literally, there's hundreds of ways. I'm, I'm, I'm never stopped to be ceased to be amazed how many different ways people make money through property. I know you're right, you're right. I think it's a great thing, but it's also, it can be a negative thing because I've found that certainly people I speak to anyway, some people look at all the different strategies and they get analysis paralysis, they get overwhelmed and take no action, don't they? Uh, which is part of the problem. But it's also a huge, for people that know about them and like yourself, utilising them all, 
um, it's a great thing, but for sure. Yeah, so when it comes to strategy and property, I like to give an analysis. If you can think you're a tradesperson mm. and you go around with a toolkit and every problem will have a different tool that you need. And if you have all of this knowledge and this information, everybody's circumstances are different. So which tool do I need in this particular scenario to make this work? It's not the tool that I use all the time, but what tool specifically? So is it a lease option that works? You know, so if somebody's got negative equity or no equity or need to get out of the property quickly, does a lease option work? In that strategy, it might do. If it's a development deal and the owner wants more money for their property than I can offer, do I offer them a little bit less now and a little bit more at the end of the project? So how do I make the deal work for a win-win scenario where I don't need to use any of my money i can access the funds either from the owner the bank or from an investor and are you still actively buying right now manuel are you still pushing and progressing all the time or are you at a stage where you've sort of got a hell of a lot and you maybe you just don't need to do as much no i'm i'm still buying a lot i'm developing a lot i've got quite a lot of projects in development at the moment we've got two schemes in peterborough I've got a nine unit scheme in Acton, a flat, another nine unit scheme in Purley being built. I've got a pub conversion in Lewisham. I've got an 18 unit scheme um, in planning at the moment in just off Commercial Street in London. Uh, and I've got another one that we just got planning consent for in uh, Purley for another nine unit scheme. So we've got quite a few bits and pieces as well as doing our peak performance property training and coaching. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on. You know. When you teach, you learn more, by the way. Definitely. definitely. And when you teach, you've got a room of 20, 25 people. Now you've got knowledge of 25 other people, all in different areas of life, different knowledge. And that's how we grow. We grow through helping and teaching. That's part of my growth. Yeah, love that. Completely agree with that as well. When I'm doing my sales training, I feel I just feel sharper. Don't you? Yeah. You, 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 yeah, you just you sharpen your sharpen your sword, don't you? You just well, you have to be right. You're you're in the front of the room, and you know somebody says something. All of a sudden, you come up with a new idea. Say, how can I be better? How can I get to this? How can I give this information so they get the information quickly? So it makes you sharper. Love that. Love that. Completely agree. Um, and yeah, I asked you. You know, have you got anything on? And didn't expect all that going on. So you still put it. Love that. You think you'll ever start? I know we're digressing from the main uh, sort of topic, but you think you'll ever stop? Is there ever an end goal for you or is it just constantly progressing? Is that what you're about? I think when you stop, you start to die. Mm. Your brain has to keep functioning. So statistically, people that retire, so men that retire at 65, their life expectancy is three to five years. People that retire at the age of 70, their life expectancy is eight to 10 years. So the more you keep your mind active, the longer you're likely to live. But on the, on the flip side, if you retire at 45 or 50, you have a life expectancy of 30 to 35 years. So it depends when you, you flitch, flip that switch. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I need to keep my mind active. Uh, I love people. Um, I love property. So it's something I will continue to do you know, as long as it serves me and the people that are around me. Yeah, love that, love that. Um, I'm completely with you as well, by the way. People just, people get a 65, retire, maybe pay the mortgage off. It's not only Alzheimer's, dementia, care home, gone, isn't it? Unfortunately, 
I, I like to look at other people. So if you look at like Donald Trump, Alan Sugar, Richard Branson, have they retired? Hell no. They're still growing, they're still developing. You know, Donald Trump became president <laughs> in his 70s, right? 70s, yeah, yeah. So you, exactly. you can still grow and develop, provided you still have passion uh, and you want to make contributions. So it's about contribution, not just about me, it's about yeah. contribution. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Love that. Um, thank you again. Really enjoying this chat. You, you, you're a really inspiring guy. Um, so if we just go back to the middle part a sec, so give us some of the highlights. And so I know you mentioned that you buy your hotel. So tell us about a hotel or something, some, some of the big highlights in that middle part, the growth part. Well, I'll give you some, some really big things that actually happened to me. So mm -hmm. more or less quite early in the stage of my property journey, I went on a, a property course. And at the time, it was a weekend course that cost £5,700 plus VAT at the time. That was a lot of money then. Yeah. Uh, and the trainer said something that he had no clue what he said, but because of my financial services experience and having a mortgage company, it triggered something for me that in a creative way. So literally in the next 12 weeks, I went and bought six million pounds worth of HMOs and I got a cash back of over 250,000 just by applying some really clever creative strategies. Now those HMOs today are still producing per HMO, £2,000 a month cash flow, net. So that's just one of the actual parts. In terms of the actual hotel, um, I was introduced to somebody a few years ago that needed money um, in regards to a uh, planning game they wanted to, to use. They didn't have the money at the time and it was a, a storage unit they wanted to get planning for. We went in for planning. Uh, originally, they wanted to get um, for, from 12,000 square feet to 25,000 square feet. We went into planning, the planner said, no, we don't want you to do 25,000, can you increase it to 50,000? So that was, uh, those, those come around very rarely. Um, so we got the planning game, we sold it even without building it, we literally had it for 11 months, uh, made a lot of money just on that planning uplift game. Uh, and they had hotels and they were acquiring it and I invested in some of the hotels in the same way. So. Oh, wow. uh, and that's just building my knowledge. And that's really a, a hybrid of between service accommodation and guest houses. So it's, it, I like to diversify my portfolio. Having said that, the last few years have been a difficult period in that area, uh, as you probably imagine with COVID. So it hasn't been all a bed of roses. I've had quite a few knocks in that area. And I'll probably say I've lost in excess of a million in the last um, 24 months in the hotel sector. So it's not always a bed of roses, not every... Thing that I do is successful. We do yeah. tech knocks. Um, so, you know, there isn't one successful person that hasn't had a couple of failings along the line and still do. Definitely. I love that. And it's, it's also quite important, I feel, to talk about them as well because in the world of social media, there's a lot of people just shouting about the good things that they're doing. It's not all good, like you rightly say. You know, anybody who's achieving big things has had multiple setbacks for, for sure. I uh, understand that personally as well, definitely. Um, Okay, that's cool. That, that, thanks for that. that that's just a, a good little insight of the things that you've done. Um, so you talk a lot about online about how important financial IQ is, and I agree. But to the listeners, viewers, um, what's a starting point of increasing your financial IQ, and how do you continue to do that, in your opinion? So I, I, I love this topic. Uh, it's something that's really close to my heart. So when you go to school, they don't teach you anything about life. 
They don't teach you anything about raising your financial IQ. In fact, most school is designed to keep you in what I call the 40-40-40 box. You work for 40 years of your life for 40 hours a week, and if you're lucky, end up with 40% of your income. Most people can't survive. I'm going to write that down. I like that one. <laughs> Most people can't survive on 100% of their income. So how the hell are they going to be able to survive on 40% of their income when they're too old to even enjoy it? That's when you need more money, not less money. So that, that, that's the first part. So raising your financial IQ. And I actually get quite annoyed and angry with this because people will spend hours on the internet searching or researching their holiday or cheap or safe 10 or 15 pounds on car or household insurance or, or researching, but they won't spend the same time understanding how to make their money and grow for them. So this is the truth. The average person in the UK, the average person that earns 25,000 over their working life will be, would have earned over a million anyway. They're already millionaires in the making and the difference is between how much money they keep and how much their money they spend. And if they invest their money wisely and they do it from an early age, most people will be millionaires. Most people. If they just invest a fraction of their income, which is 10% of their income throughout their lifetime, they will be millionaires guaranteed. People don't know how to delay gratification. They don't understand the financial IQ. And just the difference between a 3% compounded rate and a 5% compounded rate isn't 2%. It's huge. So if you go from 3% to 8% or 8% to 10%, it's unbelievable the amount of money that you can accumulate over your lifetime. So investing in financial IQ and delaying gratification, one of the things I'm lucky, I believe, is I came from a very poor background and I also came from a re religious background, which taught me two things. One, we didn't have money, so everything had to be delayed gratification. And coming from a religious background and having rules and that you had to always think about what you did first. So those are the, the, the gifts that my parents gave me, my community gave me to allow me to know about delayed gratification, that you do the hard work now, in time it will come if you put the time now. So it, it's about raising your financial queue on a regular and a consistent basis. So one of the things I did even before I, I did the mortgage company, I studied my financial uh, as a financial advisor. And the main reason for that is most people take advice from financial advisors or bank managers, and they're all skin. <laughs> yeah, it's true. If you're going to get financial advice from somebody in finance, make sure they're a millionaire already. Make sure they're successful already because they can give you real advice. But people that are selling products and services like you know, an endowment policy and, and a savings plan, those people are just selling a product. You go to your bank, where the salesman is earning 20, 25 grand a year, he's got no idea about creating wealth. He's selling a product. So raise your financial IQ by learning it yourself and take control of your destiny. Don't give your destiny to somebody else. Love that. Love that. Some loads of gems in there. One that just jumps out, just because I'm, I want a mortgage and insurance brokers, as you know, it's a similar background to yourself. But loads of people, I don't do too much advising anymore. It's the team. But when I was advising, um, Loads of people come to me and say, I've been to see another mortgage broker and he's told us to do this by a let in my personal name because limited company is too complicated. There's too much paperwork, but like they don't understand. Some of these mortgage brokers are, like you say, skinned. They don't have a clue. They're just, they just go to work for active income, don't they? That's just a job to them. 
they don't understand battlelets. Some of them say you don't want to put your money in battlelets, put it in a pension. No, all you know, they're not getting the, into the debate about properties or pension, but but these people just don't understand it, do they? And and you've got to be very careful who you take your advice from. You're completely right. Just because you're a financial advisor doesn't mean you're going to give the right advice. Mr. No, Joe Public, Mr. Average just takes takes their advice. And if it's wrong, like you say, the, the opportunities missed and the compounding effect missed is huge. Um, so I love that. Thank you, thank you for that. Just out of curiosity, um, I know I text you this morning, you were at the gym early. I'm up really early also. Um, do you have like a morning routine? Are you all about gym? Do you read on the morning affirmations? Anything like that? What's your routine look like? So every morning um, I get up between 5 and 6.30, depending on when my body wakes up. So I let my body wake up naturally. No, uh, no alarm. Then, no alarm. No alarm, okay. No alarm. I let my body wake up naturally. We have an internal clock, by the way. Mm. So how many times have you needed to get up for a flight and you're up an hour before you're supposed to be up? Because your body knows. So we have a clock. So if you have something important, your body will allow you to get up and it'll recognize it. So I do go to the gym between five and six times a week. I'm there normally quarter to seven, seven o'clock till around about nine o'clock between my weights and my cardio. And at the same time, um, I will listen every morning to some sort of motivational um, uh, talk, whether it be self-development. This morning was to do with TED Talks. Uh, and then I'm on Clubhouse a few days a week in terms of adding and contributing there. And then I'll start my day just after around about nine o'clock. So for me, that's setting my day up for me. Uh, if I don't get to the gym, um, I'm an angry bunny. Um, it sets the endorphins. It just sets me up for the day. Uh, and it's, it, it's, like, it's like eating food. I, it's part of my nutrition, my, my, my mind nutrition. Mm. Love that. And that's a very, very common theme with all the successful people that I know that I've interviewed. Majority, don't get us wrong, there's some really overweight, unhealthy millionaires and billionaires out there in the world, I'm sure. But the majority keep fit, don't they? Eat well, keep the mind healthy, body healthy, mind definitely. Love that. Um, just a couple more questions before before we wrap up. Um, you also talk about online about um, raising finance, and you've done that creatively in multiple ways. Um, do you want to shed a little bit of light on that and how you've done that and how you do that, just for the listeners? Yeah, so when it comes to raising finance or raising money, um, first and foremost, I treat my investors' money more importantly than my money. So that's the first and foremost. So they need to know me, they need to like me, they need to trust me. So how do they do that? So they need to know me through what I do. So my social presence, the, my history in terms of the other projects I've done, the good and the bad. So when an investor asks me what's gone right and what's gone wrong, I'll tell them because not every project works according to plan. Not every project makes money. Sometimes things happen that you don't make money. So in terms of raising the finance, I've now developed what I call an investor pack when I'm approaching by, by an investor. And I have different kinds of investors. So I have high net worth clients. I have sophisticated investors and I have property investors. And each one of those have a different mindset. They have a different criteria, especially an investment criteria, and the, the different returns. So I have to adapt what I'm offering depending who I'm approaching. So I would say in this current climate, it wouldn't, it's probably the easiest time in history to raise finance and get joint venture finance at 0.1% interest in the bank, if you're lucky, maybe get 1%. 
if you look at it. And, and, and this is where financial IQ comes in. So when I often say to investors, if you're earning 1% or you, or you get 1% in the bank or building society and the bank take your money, because that's what they do, you put your money in the bank, they then relend that money and they get, and they charge 4% on the mortgage. I often ask the investor, how much are, are they making on your money? And the normal response is 3%. And that's not the answer. So although the bank are paying you 1% and they're charging 4%, they're not making 3%, they're making 300% on your money. That's why the banks make so much money. So if they then charge on a credit card, 19%, they're making 1,900%. So if an investor's getting 0.1% or even 1% and you pay them 5%, they're getting a 400% increased return on their capital. You pay them 10%, they're getting a 900% return. So I talk about return on their own money as a direct comparison, not 1% to 5%. They're getting a 400% return. And obviously the better the security, the lower the rate. That's why banks will always lend one, two, three, four percent on a mortgage because they get first charge. So as you, and I talk about different positions. So first charge is always the first position. It's it's the, the highest security. Second charge is second position. So in different kinds of investments, you have different positions. And I talk about all the different positions, the risk and the reward, and the rates that you get. So my investors get educated in that process at the same time. Mm. Love that. Again, I think that, that that's great advice. There's never a better time to raise private finance. You just said it, and that's completely right. Completely right. Love that. Um, last question. The show's called The Rags to Riches Show. You've went from rags to riches, I feel, you know, of the, the upbringing and where you are right now. But what does being rich mean to you? Because you can be rich in time, in monetary terms, in relationships, in health. What, what does being rich mean to you? Rich for me now means creating magic moments and memories for my friends and loved ones. Nobody will ever remember how much money you have in the bank. Nobody will remember the house that you lived in or the cars that you drive, but they will remember how you made them feel. Mm. Powerful that. Love that. Love that. Um, what memories stand out to you? Do you? I'm assuming you go on lots of holidays judging by your background. Um, do you like going away? Do you like um, what you do I, go, I go on lots of holidays, so yeah. I, I go on lots of holidays, um, even, even in lockdown um, with my partner we created magic moments every weekend, we'd set up our own room, disco lights, uh, our own date, and we do that on a regular basis, do stuff for my kids, so it's, it's about creating those, those magic moments, because that's, that's what's really important, it's the values that you leave that will create your legacy, it's not just the money that leaves a legacy, it's the foundation that, that hopefully I instill that will carry on well after the, uh, I'm gone. Mm. Love that. And it's so, so true, isn't it? And again, to, you know, hopefully that maybe is a bit of a light bulb moment for, for people listening or watching there, because certainly in my, a few of my circles in Newcastle, a lot of people are just all about work and they're neglecting home and they're neglecting, uh, you know, all these other things. Whereas, you know, what's the point in having loads of money if you're not doing anything with it? You're not enjoying it. It is pointless, isn't it? Um, it's not just all about hustling and working constantly. You've, You've got, got to have to balance. You've got to have balance in your life. You know, enjoy what you do, but at the same time, the people in your life need to be part of that journey so you don't neglect them. And that means your children. And I, I was a culprit, by the way, of that in my early years. 
working really hard uh, mm. and not spending enough time at the beginning with, with, my, with my wife and my children. Mm. And cracks started to show. Mm. So you've got to invest in all areas. And that's why we talk about balance. And I've learned that over time. Good judgment comes from bad judgment. Good experience comes from bad experience. So I've learned along that journey what things are really important. So you don't have to wait to get to my grand old age before you realize you can make changes from now and start creating a life of real meaning. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Learn from other people's mistakes instead of your own. Um, I love that. Honestly, Emmanuel, I've really, really enjoyed the episodes. One of my favorites so far. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you, if someone wants to get in contact, what is the best way? Uh, they can reach out to me in lots of different ways. So they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, under my name, Emmanuel Ezekiel, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. If they want some additional information on training and mentorship, they can reach out to Peak Performance Property. Uh, just look me up on the internet. And they'll find me in, in lots of different locations uh, in terms of different things that I do in terms of training, development, NLP. So I'm an NLP Master Practitioner. So yeah, they can reach out and they can find me in lots of different places. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Emmanuel. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Um, and inspiring me and hopefully other people. So thank you and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, mate. Please, pleasure.